Hello, and welcome back to the Kimberly Levy podcast. I am your host, Kimberly Levy. Today, I am super excited to welcome Lori Sunshine, who is the founder and CEO of Lori Dorman Photography. If you guys have not heard of Lori Dorman Photography, this is the gold standard for all things maternity and family photo shoots. She also does newborn photo shoots. She is a female entrepreneur as well as a mother. She works with celebrities, influencers, very high profile clientele. And she kind of explains her journey through dyslexia and overcoming some of her challenges and really leaning into her gut and intuition to almost compensate for where she felt that she was lacking in other areas. Lori is extremely successful. She has built and sold multiple businesses. She's a true inspiration and a joy. And if you guys are interested in any kind of photo shoots for your family, boudoir, for maternity photo shoots, any of those things, newborn, please check out my Instagram and hers and you'll see her end product. Her team is spectacular. So huge shout out to them. I also wanted to share that this was a really big kind of aspirational goal for me just to work with this company because you know when you're on Instagram and you almost think that you're not even worthy? I was kind of like almost intimidated to even reach out to them and work with them and I'm so glad I did because let me tell you, wow, the photos we got are just iconic and are so precious to our family. So I just wanted to thank Lori again and her team who they are just the best team to work with and they make you feel so comfortable, so professional. And I just love you guys. So thank you all, everyone that kind of helps support our maternity photo shoot. And we love you guys again and appreciate all of you so much. So with that, Lori Sunshine, welcome to the podcast. Die for. So cute. So, so good. Like we're speechless. We're so oh, so good. So good. Well, I have to tell you, we have art all over our house and no family photos. And I'm like, okay, no. I'm not doing this. I'm not gonna do the send me the digital and then I'll get to printing it out. I'm like, just send me everything. So all I have to do is put it up on the wall. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh no. Um I literally have no pictures of my children. Like literally, I have no pictures of my children anywhere in the house. Yeah. Do you actually do any of the photo sessions or photo shoots yourself? Like I know you have high, high mm-hmm. folks. Um, do you ever kind of like make exceptions and take over or do you only do the reviews? You know, it's, it's really been a progression. My heart really uh, is directing me. And I've always followed my heart through every career. I've always built a bridge to another career, which I've always double duty myself to do that. And I think I'm at a place in my life that I don't have to build that bridge any longer. So, and I don't know that I want to go develop another full-time company. Um, but my heart is telling me that I don't want to pick up that camera anymore. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to, and it makes me, it's, it's really confusing because it makes me feel like I have this gift because it really is a gift, right? You know, it's when I'm in the camera, I'm not a, um, I'm not a student of photography. I didn't study it in school. I didn't learn. I learned just through my eyes, right. And talented people that I went and, and studied. And I guess, I mean, that obviously is a very successful form of education for many people, but for me, it was just very, very intuitive. In fact, well, going back, like in my, when I was 13, I saved all my babysitting money to, I mean, $2 an hour. And it took me two and a half years and I bought my first Pentex K1000. And the reason I bought that was because my dad had one and, and we grew up, you know, pretty poor. Like we did not, but, but I never knew that. Right. But I love it because it really instilled a great work ethic in me, but I hustled to get that camera because when I looked at my dad's camera, this whole, like my mind just like exploded. I looked inside and it was like looking in a movie and I could control that movie. Even when I was 12 years old and I had that experience, my mind just completely blew open. So I saved up all my money and I bought my own Pentex K1000. And 
And then I used it for a while in high school and so forth. And I moved on to different arts and tried to play with different mediums. And then in my 20s, I came back around to photography and there was just this very direct voice in my, in my head that literally directed me and said, shoot as much as you possibly can. And I remember arguing with it going, that's crazy. That will cost me so much money. And it said, don't worry about the money. Just shoot as much as you can. So I would take the camera to my son's preschool and I would run around and I would shoot the little children in the playground. And then I would just give them all of the pictures, right? This is the film days. And that was really where I trained myself. So it's, you know, it's, and, and in the meantime, I was building other birthing businesses as I was going along, but I think that I always had that, that really deep love of photography. And so when I finally decided to really jump in after developing other businesses, I decided to just, uh, that was right when digital photography was coming into, into play, which was I mean, that was the dream, right? Because now you could take everything to Photoshop and you could manipulate and you could create your art your own way. You didn't have to just get it perfect in camera and you didn't have just one try. You had a million tries. So that was, that was a game changer. And it was really exciting to be at the forefront of that change in our time, that 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 all of those possibilities came true and then that's when I made a decision to sell off the current businesses that I had and just jumped directly into photography which I you know I worked 24 7 I would literally I would literally work all day long shooting I would edit at night I would go to bed at four in the morning people would show up at nine o'clock at my door I would ha be half dressed in bedhead. I would literally wake up because the doorbell was ringing and it was a client downstairs and I would be shoving my hair into a ponytail and running downstairs and the half in pajamas. I mean, just like bedhead and everything else. And, and, and then I would just do it again and I would do it again and again and again until finally that's when you know, I was, I was doing something that the industry hadn't done before with, with maternity, which I was, I was, I was sexualizing it. I was, you know, I don't know if that's the right term to be using, but I was turning it into a sexual platform where I was like, no, this is about sensuality. It's about sexuality. It's about empowerment. It's about women in, in, you know, their beauty and, and their beauty is all tied into sexuality. And it's, interesting because it was definitely a game changer. And, and I really feel honestly, like I literally, I know for sure, like I was at the forefront of that change in maternity photography. I know for sure, because I didn't pick that up from somebody else. Okay. That I think is so interesting that you hit on too. You're such a fascinating, incredible person. I, Thank I, you. Can you please uh, call my children? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You know, to that end about the sexuality part and sensuality and being a woman and all this stuff, like, I think it really, something that really maybe surprised me as like a very much like a, I'm, I've historically been in a very um, conservative job, very buttoned up, like not in front of, you know, the camera in any way, like I'm by no means any kind of model or any of that stuff. And being at your studio, you know, the fact that I was able to go into that studio and feel so empowered and feminine, it really yeah. captures the experience that I do feel naturally that I think so many women are lacking in their yeah. experience because the most common thing you always hear about women when they're pregnant and, and kind of in general is like a lot of women struggle with their body image and then here they come to the most yes. important, yes. you know, spiritual time in their lives. Yes. And they are worried about that. They don't look good and that they've gained too much weight. And I'm like, that is terrible. Like that like, yeah. touches my soul. It's yes. the most yes. time as a woman yeah. that you're creating life. And the fact that you're not embracing your body and you yes. feel so down. It just, it's like soul crushing to me that these women feel this way, you know? Yes. And so the fact that I was able to kind of like feel like, oh, a, yeah, a bizarre. Uh, <laughs> I love it, which is yeah. very far outside of my comfort zone, but the, the atmosphere that your team creates 
is just, I mean, I was able to lay there naked and just feel totally mm-hmm. celebrated. They make you feel celebrated. I've shot with them. I've I've had them shoot me in my own boudoir and I felt celebrated as I was shooting. There was not, I, there, because of the confidence that they surrounded me with, there was never a moment that I, I lost my confidence, which going into it, of course, everybody is terrified. You're thinking, oh my God, I'm going to feel so awkward. I'm, I'm not, you know, and it's like, once you get there and everyone's been so well versed in in how to work within the energy of it and how to really and no one's trying to do this by the way there's no we didn't create a formula to pull this is just genuine people coming together working together within the context of that energy and knowing what makes other people feel good so So, it's that end i guess i was going to ask you more about how you how you did create that comfortable safe space because i can tell you also knowing like after i'd been there i realized that oh even the editors are female and then i saw your photo and it was all female and i went yes i personally feel much more at ease because i don't feel like oh my gosh i'm worried what if some guy's looking at my picture right thing right just felt very safe but um i guess so so i would say one thing that struck me was that it's all females in your company. That's one thing. It is. And then as far as creating that energy, is it through hiring? Is it through like, what do you do to facilitate that as the boss? Like how, how, how has this magical experience um, unfolded? It unfolded in the best way that it could. It did it naturally because, you know, it's, it's right. Whenever you have somebody at the helm of the ship, who's running a passionate company and they're in their desire, right? They're not creating something because they need something. They're creating something because they're desiring something. And those have two different outcomes, right? When you need something, not everything just kind of flows and shows up for your experience. But when you're in your desire and you're desiring something, people get attracted to that, the right people, right? I'm just this big tuning fork and I'm pulling in people to match me that'll duplicate that experience because people wanna be around that, right? Mm -hmm. So, and you see that in many companies, you know, I mean, great companies in the universe that have great leaders, have great companies. I I had this epiphany. It was like 20 years ago. It was a very spiritual moment for me where I was thinking about this street that I lived on where the studio is. And I was thinking about all the old neighbors and how, when I moved there, it was a very conservative neighborhood. And I was this young single girl that moved in there and I was attractive and I was in my thirties and to them, I was intimidating, right? To me, when I looked at myself, I was insecure, just like anybody else, but to them, I was intimidating. So they didn't treat me very kindly, right? So the experience I wanted when I moved there was just to have this incredible street where my kids just run around and, you know, all this love and these neighbors and bringing cookies back and forth. And that didn't happen. So one by one, the, the neighbors that lived near me all ended up selling their homes and moving out of state, basically. And as each one moved, somebody would move into that place that was maybe like, you know, a cinema photographer, um, a hairdresser, a chiropractor, a musician, a, I mean, literally they had all these, these desirable, um, passionate careers, right? They loved what they did. And, and, and it occurred to me one day, well, I loved what I did, right? I, I mean, loved it, lived for it, breathed my artistry, right? And I felt like, did I attract these people into these homes? Because what a powerful point of attraction, right? And pretty soon I was looking around and every person I was counting, every person that lived around me was loving their work, right? And all of a sudden the street was this powerful force. It was the place I wanted to be when I got there, right? So I started to think, wow, what if I had a company that every person in their company, every person loved their job. What kind of company would that develop? How would that function? What does that look like, right? So that was when I made the commitment that every person I hired, I would only hire them if they loved what they did. So if you're an editor, you have to love your editing. If you're an assistant, you have to love assisting. If you're a photographer, you have to to eat, drink, live photography, 
And I believed because I made a commitment to that energetically, I grew that, right? Totally. And, and it didn't listen. It's, it's, I made it sound like butterflies and unicorns and it's not, I mean, there were, you know, there was literally one point I had a group of, of, of people attracted into the company that turned things very sour. And I had to look at that and say, wow, that is not the energy that we need into this company. And we kind of had to clean house and kind of had to rebuild again. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause I had to go back to that commitment. You just get off track. But right, right now I have hands down positively the most committed, energetic, positive group of women that have ever worked within the company, like hands down. I feel that I felt that immediately. And I mean, for me to say, I felt totally at ease, like doing, you know, this kind of thing. (laughs) I look at you. I mean, gorgeous. for me to feel comfortable and stuff, like I'm telling you, it says a lot because this is not my natural habitat. Um, give me a spreadsheet. I can knock that out. Right. But you know, you're going to try and get me naked. Yeah, give me a spreadsheet. Let me put a, a, you know, an ice pick in my head. (laughs) But you know, it's so interesting speaking with you, Lori, because you're really the only person that I think I've met. That's like a CEO, a true entrepreneur that aligns with kind of my thinking that, and when I hear you say it, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is exactly, it's, it's weird because I totally speak your language. And it's so rare that I've seen a a CEO, a female entrepreneur truly lead with her intuition, her heart and spirituality first. And and you, you do it in a way that is just unwavering. Like the way you were speaking at the beginning about, you know what, my heart is not telling me to pick up the camera or whatever. I'm like, oh my God. And, and it's like, I think so many women, we have this, we have this, you know, sixth sense or our gut feeling, but it's so far out of the norm to see somebody that truly like you firmly listen. I do. Firmly. So I do. How did you build that trust within yourself or how, what would you say to women that we hear the voice, but we second guess? Like the big question, it's a loaded question. I think it, you know, I mean, obviously it comes through the contrast, right? You, you know, you, you listen, you don't listen to the voice and you get burnt and you end up on the other side of that experience going, I should have listened. And how many times have we all done that? And I think that, you know, my strength is not uh, (laughs) my intellect. And everybody says, no, that's not true, but it is kind of true. I'm very dyslexic. I can't even spell. I mean, to be honest with you, I really can't spell. So, but I can lean into my gut and I can get it right. And when I get it wrong, I'm okay with that. Because the one thing I know for sure is that it's worse, way worse. It's way worse to not try than to fail at something Mm -hmm. way worse. You will regret not trying. You will go to your grave thinking, why didn't I do that? You will, if you're in your twenties and you had a very strong gut feeling and you're in your fifties now and you never followed it, I promise you it'll be your biggest regret. But if you tried it and fail it, you're never even going to think of it. You know, I mean, let's face it. You, you do have to keep trying and it's like learning to ride a bike. And, and, and if you find that leaning into that intuition works and that you do get it right. And once in a while you do get it wrong, that's okay. Just keep leaning into it. I literally built my companies because I had to lean into that. I couldn't rely on my intellect because it's too jumbled up up in there. It really is. I mean, I can't even spell words. So how can I rely on that? But I can intuitively see how things belong together. I can intuitively understand how things get attracted in. I can understand intuitively, almost like a mathematical equation, how the outcome will be produced if I throw my belief into that. And I know the most important rule to this is that once you put something out there and you're calling it forward to you with your desire, not you want something or you need something, but that you have that just pure desire because it's fun, end of story, it's going to feel good, right? 
Mm-hmm. End of story. That's why you're doing it. That's why we do everything. It's because we think we're going to feel good in doing it. Okay. So the moment that you do that, and then the moment you go, yeah, but you just took a big rock and threw it at that thing coming towards you and you knocked it off its rails. And then you got to go back and do it again. So I try really hard to not derail my desire. I try to know that all things are possible, that even if they seem impossible, that they are possible. Um, And I have, and and through my life, I think that the, I think also the moment that you begin to open that little secret door and look behind door number two, I think what happens is you start seeing the coincidences. You start seeing the universe collaborate with you. You start seeing how that gut reaction that you had, it was right. You should have just followed it right away, you know? So you start to trust. And I, I honestly can tell you, there are so many decisions in my life still that, you know, I get into that gut feeling and I wobble. I just, and I go, okay, I'm wobbling right now. So I need to back off because I don't have clarity. And the worst emotion you can have is not having clarity is that confusion, right? Mm -hmm. So that means you just need to back, back out, just back out of that. And, and wait for some clarity to come. So you understand the, the, the way to go. Something will happen. So both of my stepdaughters are, one's looking for an apartment, her perfect apartment, and one is perfect, looking for the perfect house. And they're both complaining about the markets and blah, blah, blah. And I say, Keep, the universe will bring it to you. You just stop throwing rocks down at the, you know, at the thing that's coming to you to knock it off its trail. And so I was telling them, like, we, we, we just, we purchased a home down um, at the beach and after we purchased our home, we, we knew it wasn't our dream home. So we were walking, we purchased it. And then we went down to the beach and we walked in front and we were walking on the beach and we were looking up at the homes on the beach and we saw one home up there and it had this perfect glass railing around and the people were up on top and the fire was going and they had their furniture. And me and my husband went, wow, that, that's the goal right there. That, I mean, we were like high-fiving each other, like one day, (laughs) we don't know how it's going to happen, but that's the goal. The day that we closed escrow on our home, a house comes on the market. Now it's not on the beach, right? Because we can't afford to be on the beach, but it happens to be one house behind the house on the beach. And that house in front of the house on the beach has three lots on it. And it's one story. And this house has that perfect glass railing around it. And it has the fire pit and it's got the furniture and it has the perfect view onto the beach. So we jumped the other house and we bought that house, obviously. And the moral of the story is that if you're in that, that place of just, really strong desire and you're not throwing now good god we didn't say on the beach oh i doubt we'll ever be able to afford that the universe just found a very creative way to deliver exactly what we wanted right at the price that we could afford and that happened immediately because the lack of resistance to what we were seeing because we didn't have we had no judgment about looking at that house we were just celebrating that we already had a house So we didn't have to be like, oh, I wish it was that one. Do you understand what I'm saying? So yeah, going back to the big picture, I think that leading with your intuition is is a practice and it's a daily practice. I fall off the tracks just like everybody else. In fact, when the company gets at its worst, I know I fell way, way off the tracks. And I always say, I need to go and work on this from the inside out. I need to go back down to meditation. I need to get quiet. I need to be able to listen to the signs of the universe around me, directing me because every moment the universe is giving me the answers, but I'm just not paying attention. I'm up there like struggling with the, with all the problems that are there. And I've got my head all wrapped up and my, my mental capacity can only do so much. These are computers up here. They can only do so much. You cannot fix some of these problems on your own, but if you can like let that go and you can just say, I give it over. Like I myself cannot fix this, but I know that there's a enormous energy around me that can. And every time I've practiced that with every time I've practiced that something has been a coincidence. It's come into play. It's fixed the issue and the issue is gone. That's it. Oh my gosh. It is so incredible listening to you because I love how you mm. see that it's also a practice because I, it's, it is, it is. a practice. It is a practice. And, and you talked about uncertainty too, because it's hard when yes. 
you're trying to lean into your gut and you're hearing a voice or you're having intuition about something, but see when that happens, it's nonsensical. It's not logical necessarily. So it's confusing. So it's easy to second guess it, right? Because it doesn't make sense. Some of these are true life. I mean, real like tangible decisions. You know, we're not talking about yoga. We're talking about, you know, and and all that stuff. So there's real consequences of these decisions. There's real consequences. But here's the thing. When you go with that heart decision and you say, okay, I'm going to honor this feeling, right? And you do it anyways, and you give up the money or you give up the home or whatever it is. Guess what? There, the reason you're having that is because there is something behind door number three. It is and it's trying to make its way in, <laughs> but you're blocking it. And the reason that you're having that feeling of like, well, I don't know, this is crazy. Why don't I want to make a million dollars a year or 500 or whatever it is, is because it won't bring you any joy. Because number three, door number three has something amazing in it. That's like trying to get into your experience. And you're the one that called it in. At one point you called door number three in and now it's manifested and it's sitting there waiting to come into play. So you've got to have the courage to follow your heart. When we were going back to the house hunting, which I think that this is fascinating we, we were going to, we looked two years in Pasadena, found this beautiful home in Pasadena. And on the last walkthrough here, we'd waited two years. And on the last walkthrough, my heart just tanked. And I was like, what is happening in my head? Like, this can't be happening. No, I need to love this house. This is perfect. This has everything I ever dreamed for myself, right? I drove by the house that night and my heart just went boom. We had to give them an answer by 10 o'clock the next day. And my husband came in and he knew that I was a little bit of a wobble and he didn't want, he was like, oh no, we're not doing wobble here. We're doing for sure. You're so excited. You can't stand it. Right. And he comes in the room and I told him, I said, I drove by the house and my heart sank. And he goes, that's it. We're done. We're never going against your heart. He's like, we're done. We're out. And I'm like, no, but my head's telling me that this is a perfect house. He's like, no, no. So if you understand the reason that I'm going to have a view of the ocean, something I never even imagined was possible. Imagine more than I could even more joy than I could even conjure up for myself is because I listened to my heart at that final hour when it said, don't do this. When my head was saying, oh yeah, let's go. Right. And I chose, and the reason I'm going to sit up on that deck and look at the ocean was because of that moment. That's powerful. It is so powerful. And nobody, I think it's so fascinating talking to you about it because women, we severely underestimate ourselves on so many levels because we don't look at our history. I mean, is there any, right. And and (laughs) powerful businesswoman. And it's like the way we play, we, I think what's tricky is, so I come from like very much a man's world and let's be real. A lot of the business world still is a man's world. Right. Right. And that's, and by the way, I've played just fine in a man's world as far as hanging out with the guys and traveling with the guys. I, but you still have to play a role in that. Rather than just being hundred percent in your own power and just being hundred percent you, you yep. still have to develop a role, which doesn't, which takes some of your power away, even though it doesn't feel that way. You're still know you're, you're having to, to be something maybe slightly off from who you really authentically are. Does that make sense? It does. 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 You have to adjust to your, right. And so I guess exactly right. Like I can adjust and adapt just fine. But when I was teaching women how to sell, I always say say to any woman that's selling anything, because women, what do we hate? We hate being sold to, we hate feeling we don't want to be the cheesy salesperson. We don't want to be sold to, and we definitely don't want to be the one kind of doing that. So as a woman in business, I just, I think it's important that I think the best way to be successful as a woman in business is to be truly authentically you. And I would always say to people, to my students, sell from the inside out. If you're selling a product, you should love the product or service. If you don't love her, if you don't love your product or service, you right. need to address that right here, right, right. now. 
immediately right. first. Right. Once you're in love with what you're doing, it should be easy to sell your stuff and you yes. shouldn't feel salesy. Yes. It, you should yes. feel passionate and vibrant and authentic and yes. sell from the inside out, be authentic about it. And it's not even hard. You don't even have to try. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I literally tell myself the same thing and, you know, sometimes, um, you know, we'll go into a, um, you know, a, a, a viewing where you go through and you pick your picture and then there's different packages that you can purchase from. And I always tell my girls, like, you don't have to sell anything. There's nothing to be sold here. Don't sell anything. Like the art speaks for itself. We yeah. just spent 10 hours on this photo shoot. This woman came in and spent six plus hours with us. We've spent four hours in post-production. She spent an hour or two in hair and makeup. She, I mean, there's, there, the, the, and, and we, and, and we have a talented team. I mean, there's so much, right. There's so much love there. I mean, it's just like, you know what the result oh, is, yeah. right. And that's, that's the accumulation of all of that time and effort is that beautiful art. Like there's nothing to sell. She there will either it. fall in love or she won't. I don't want to convince anybody well, to purchase something that they don't want. So from the beginning, your business, I actually might even have to do a whole separate discussion just to tell the, uh, the audience like about just exactly how, cause I could literally talk about it for a full, like a couple hours. Um, but from Thank the you. beginning, and, and I mean that, I mean, completely, I really, so sweet of you. But yeah. from the beginning, the experience with you, with your team, the way that you have everything set up from start to finish to the point where I've you know, now received everything and we're at the end. It's top of the line, impeccable. It is impressive soup to nuts. And I'm, I'm not just saying that because you're here. I, I mean, I tell people that. And so creating the experience yeah. for your potential customer from the beginning. I mean, the fact that hair and makeup is included and just the way that they communicate just from the beginning to end is just stellar. So you've created this experience that puts somebody at ease from the beginning. So your product and your service is completely, like you say, speaks for itself and the experience really yeah. shapes it. Well, if I was a consumer, there's two things I want. I want communication and I want timelines. And I want, I want a commitment that those two things are going to be followed through with, right? That's all I want as a consumer. And, and I want to have a fun experience. I mean, that's it, right? We're doing it because it's fun. We're doing it because you feel good in doing this and totally. having this right? That's really the, the, at the end of the day, that's why we do this. So I, I think that that's easy. That part's easily accomplished. You know, it's, it's taken many years to workflow the other parts of the business to make sure that communication is king and that it's, it's always on track with the clients at every step of the way. Um, and that, and that we follow through with our timelines and our commitments to deliver the product when we say we're going to. That's constant management. Again, I have, you know, we have an amazing team. So, and we have different levels of management. You know, we have a general manager and then we have the central managers. And then of course there's me. And I think, you know, because we have a little bit of a, even in a boutique business, we do have a little bit of management structure there. It helps to keep things flowing and moving. <laughs> I've, I've been down the roads where things aren't all tidy like that too. And it's a nightmare. So well, years to refine that process. It's not like it wake up and it's all well, oiled. No. you have to build it piece by piece, brick by brick and troubleshoot right. as you go. I mean, that's what it is to build a business. Right. And, and how long has it taken you to get to this point of a well-oiled machine? Gosh, I probably started around 2000. I would say I had a birthing business. And then in that birthing business, I was shooting women on the side and then when I sold off my birthing businesses, then I moved into just doing photography. And I thought it would just be me doing it solo, but that grew very quickly. And then I was hiring other people to come on. And also a word of advice to your listeners, especially if you're building a company out of passion, the one thing that you want to do is you want to try to architect your company first. You want to try to lay down some very sturdy tracks very sturdy workflow tracks, very, even if it's just you, use programs that help organize you. Mm -hmm. Every single part of your business 
will run smoothly if every single component is workflowed, mm-hmm. has a system in place that treats that problem, treats that part of the cycle. Does that make sense? It does. Because yeah. process. What happens with passionate businesses is that, especially as a creative, is you're just in there taking pictures and buying dresses and ripping dresses apart and how, you know, it's just, it's unicorns and fairy tales or whatever. And, you know, that can turn into a very messy ball. (laughs) And if I had laid those tracks down from the beginning, but I didn't know, right? I didn't know. I I learned through my mistakes. I thought thought that this was just going to be a hobby and then it turned into, (laughs) I did. I literally thought it was going to be a hobby and it turned into a very viable company. So I I had to, at different levels as the growth, you know, we had to keep creating different infrastructure that would support the finances and the workflows and the management and so forth. Probably about two years ago, we really, me and my general manager went in there and we really cleaned house with our workflows. We went in and we probably, it was like taking a deep breath and going underwater for six months. And we both cried. We both, we did. We both missed out on a tremendous amount of time with our families. I mean, we just went in very deep and we we reorganized the company so that every single situation, movement, personnel, everything had a track and everything was capable of being followed on multiple levels. And we had to tie these systems all together. I mean, we could have... 50,000 images moving through our company in one week. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's so <clears throat> it is. And, and since we did something unique, that's not normally done in a company where, you know, we have, we have a team that produces this imagery and that's what everybody who comes and works for LDP. That's, that's one of the, the, the great benefits is that Anybody who knows that anybody who's a photographer on their own, they know this is grueling. I mean, it, it, it sucks the life out of you to be a photographer on your own because you're editing, you're selecting your, you know, your, your booking, you're running your finances. Your, I mean, it just, it's day and night to be solo. And, and so what I did was I developed a team that every single aspect of that is taken care of. We have assistants, we have selectors, we have editors, we have bookmaker, we have the designer, we have, you know, we have Michelle that does client services and we have a studio manager. Every single aspect has a specialty person. So, which then brings up all the issues of management. You have to manage all those people, right? So that's a whole, that's, that's a whole <laughs> other level of, of issue, it, it, especially because it's a boutique business, but yeah. Um, so were yeah. you a doula? Were you a doula before? I was. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was a doula for probably a decade. I was a doula and, you know, I was always the, the child that wouldn't follow the recipe. So, you know, my mom would never allow me in the kitchen because I couldn't just like look at a recipe. I'd be like, well, if it's that good with two eggs, we should put four in there or we should put more vanilla in there or we should put, so she, I drove her bonkers and that translated into my work as an adult. When I became a doula, I, again, I think I was pretty good at it. And I was a doula before we were quote doulas, by the way, I was just helping other women give birth when I was working as a doula and I had my own company as a doula. And again, the same thing happened. I just was born out of a, out of a passion. I started helping women give birth. And then the name doula came into play. And then pretty soon more people were coming to me. But the reason more people were coming to me was because I started getting obsessed with hypnosis. I wanted to experience how we could how we could change someone's birth experience, right? So 
I would study with all these hypnotherapists and then I would pull out the tools I thought would work. And then I would go back and I would, I would work as a doula. I would say, Hey, let's try this script and let's see if this makes a difference. And then one by one by one by one, these women were starting having these different experiences. And I was able to sculpt this experience into birth where it would make them birth faster. And there was easier experience. And let's face it. Most of the women that were coming to me wanted a natural childbirth. So we were achieving much higher levels of natural childbirth. So again, then that made that company explode. And all of a sudden we had all these people coming to this company because they were telling their friends, oh, I had this great birth experience and it was short and it didn't pay. It wasn't very painful and blah, blah, blah. So then I started training other doulas around me. And then I took all that experience and I put it into a program called Hit Birth. And then I was able to give that out to other people as a CD. And I like made my own CDs and I mean, everything was just all grassroots. Yeah. So I literally developed this company called Hit Birth in the Birth Connection. And there just came, became a moment that I said, no more. I'm done. I can't go to another birth. I remember thinking I cannot, I'd been to like a thousand births and I put something out into the universe that was really beautiful. And it helped women give birth and less and lessen their pain, made them birth faster. And I thought, I'm done. I literally like my heart said, I can't go to another birth. And I didn't. That was it. I was okay. done. I love it. Hearing yeah. you say it to yourself and then listen yeah. is just so validating. Cause like, and then, yeah. then you moved on to the next, next thing. Then I moved, I moved on. I, I opened up a store and this was a really great story. So when I was at the birth connection, I was teaching a group of, of girls that wanted to become doulas and I was sharing my experiences with them. And they would work for the birth connection after that as a doula. And we spent probably six months together. And there was one gal that was very, um, I'm going to say she was just very unassuming when, when every time she would show up every week and we would talk and she was lovely and I really liked her. And I started to get this, this little store next door to the birth connection was emptying out their little gift shop. And I started getting, you know how you get those signs from the universe? Like people are talking about the same subject. Everywhere you go, you keep hearing the same subject brought up. And I started paying attention and it was all about a breastfeeding store being put next door in this little, this little gift shop. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, universe, I hear you. You want me to open a breastfeeding store next, next door, but I don't have a dollar to my name. I mean, I'm, I'm hustling right now. You know, I was a single mom. I was hustling to make my ends meet, which isn't a sad story. It was great. It was all good. But I mean, it would take $100,000 to open up this store, right? With merchandise and so forth. So, but I continue to hear more of those coincidences where people were bringing the subject up. So on this Friday morning, I sat on the floor and I said, I hear you you want me to open that store. If you put $100,000 in my lap by tonight, I will open that store. End of story. And I got up sitting in this group with these women and the one woman was in the group. And I said, you know, it's so funny. I just keep getting these messages that I'm supposed to take over this store next door. And the one girl says, well, you know, I... I would love to have something to do. She said, you know, my husband, you know, he does pretty well. And why don't we meet with him tonight? And let's talk to him about maybe opening up the breastfeeding store. And I was like, huh, okay, whatever. You know, remember I asked for hundred thousand dollars to be dropped in my lap by, because I literally had to tell them on Saturday morning if I was gonna be the one, cause I had first rights to the store next door. So that night we went out to dinner with her husband. And the last thing he said to us, he said, okay, girls, I'm going to give you a hundred thousand dollars. Don't spend $1 over it. And that was it. And I went, oh, 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 okay. I'm opening up a breastfeeding store now. And I did. I opened up a breastfeeding store and it serviced both of the hospitals who that didn't have local breastfeeding in, in, the, in both of the hospitals, we uh -huh. serviced both of those hospitals. We serviced like a giant community. And to that day, 
it's still in the community. It's bellies, babies, and bosoms. It's still there. It's been there for 20 years servicing women uh, up in Montrose. Do you know where Montrose is? No. Oh, it's up near, up above Glendale. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's a cute okay. little breastfeeding store. And it, oh I mean, God. it literally serviced probably a hundred thousand women since it's been there. I mean, and there came a point, my whole point is there came a point that I started, I had to work every Thursday in the store and I would dread, I felt like a caged bird every time I had to go work in the store, but that was my commitment to part of our partnership. And I had to go in there and work it. And I literally couldn't go one more time. My heart was just like, no, you can't do this. Cause we were going to open up multiple stores as well. And my heart was just like, no, 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 no. And I finally came to my partner and said, I can't do it anymore. And she said, fine, I'll buy you out. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Bought me out and on its way. It still has the same integrity as the day that we owned it, that we yeah put it together. And I mean, that's, that's the beauty of following your heart. Right. And the moment I did that, just another thing came onto my radar. I started doing the photography that came right onto my radar. I had the confidence to, to, to do what I was loving to do. And I thought, well, maybe I'll just do this for a little bit. Maybe I'll just, you know, I love shooting women. I love creating that artwork, you know, and, and I, I really want to jump into this full Monty. And my heart was just telling me to go this, I call it the cookie crumb trail. It's like, if you just follow your heart and you just keep like, there's like one little cookie crumb and you're like, oh, that looks good. I'll just eat that. And you eat that. There's another one after that. So even if you, like I started a company called Earth Mom Angel Baby and when I started that company, I was looking for linden oil. I was obsessed with making the scent. I wanted the scent. There was a scent that went out of, out of commission. And it was, it was like four or five different oils mixed together. And I was just going to blend my own, but I couldn't find linden oil. And I was asking everybody and I was like searching high and low. And I became obsessed with it, which is I think part of the process of many times to knowing you're on track is when you really start obsessing over getting something right. Because I was talking to a client about looking for this linden oil. And she said, Oh, you need to talk to Caitlin Olson, who is on Sunny in Philadelphia. It's always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You ever watched that? The woman okay. in the okay. show? Yeah. Okay. So, so it turned out that my client owned a gift shop and Caitlin worked for her. And Caitlin's mother was Melinda, who was growing herbs in her backyard up in Oregon. So this little weird connection, right? So yeah. she got me to talk to Caitlin who got me to talk to her mom and we just hit it off. We just hit it off. So I started having her just make me all kinds of products. I forgot about the linden oil. I just started having her make me all these products for all these pregnant women that were coming to the birthing business, right? Like belly oils and teas to drink, to start their labor and blah, blah, blah. And at one point we just said, why don't we just make a line? Let's just make a bunch. And let's just like, like neither one of us had a clue what we were doing a clue but we were like let's just do it why not right oh my god that product to this day is literally like all over the world like all over the world earth mama is a global product you sold that company the earth mama yep and it's global it's global it's global yeah wow So, so my point is even when you think you're like, you get a desire for something, it's the cookie crumb trail. I thought I was looking for linden oil, but really I was supposed to be going to look for Melinda, right? Yeah. But if you had like the universe just finds a way to like get you where you're supposed to be, but it has to do it. It's like, you only do things because they feel good, right? So in desire and like that passion, that's the best of the best of the experiences that we're having, right? That's even better than the actual manifestation is that like you get up and you're just like, let's go, let's do this, the best idea, right? And you get your fingers into the clay and you start molding it. And like, you're just on a high, you can get manic over that experience. Oh yeah, no, you do right? But eventually like, then it takes a little turn. And then something else is like, that's connected to that is right there. And then something else is connected. And pretty soon you're right where you're supposed to be. So I- Wow. I've walked it so many times that I know it's real. I know yeah. it's not airy fairy. I think what's hard going back to what you were saying was, I think sometimes when you don't have the clarity or it takes time to unfold, it's just living in that blind faith of just 
going with your gut, like what feels good. And like you said about the pit in your stomach. And by the way, I love that your husband totally gets you and supports that fully and listens. That is so crazy to me. Like, and can I tell you, my husband doesn't believe in God. Doesn't is a total atheist. Yeah. Doesn't, but believes in science. He's a, he's an aerospace guy. And then I will, I show up in his life. <laughs> but boom, he leans right? into it. How crazy. Like, yeah, I just, there's something so magical about that relationship between you guys that he yeah. trusts your gut the way you trust your gut and he leans into it with you. Oh, he does a hundred million percent. That's he so walked cool. away from our home because I wouldn't walk away because my head was telling me to go for it. And he yeah. walked away because he heard that my heart said no. I love it. I yeah. really feel that that is the way that with everything, like I don't chase things anymore as much. I'm more yeah. into be authentic and put out your best energy. The easiest way to manifest is to come in your authentic self, be at your highest vibration, yeah. be in love with your life. Don't need something to make you happy. Yes. You're just experiencing it because you already are happy. Yes. So you're attracting that thing as a tuning fork. We attract, we're like tuning forks. That's what we are. We're just, yeah. we hit a vibration and then we just attract, we're just a big mirror around us. And then we're attracting those things into our life. Right. So, you know, when you really want to manifest your highest good, I love to be surprised by the universe. Like, isn't that the most delicious experience when you, when you get a rooftop that is going to look at the ocean and you didn't even put that into your bucket of dreams, like, cause you didn't even think it was possible until you walked past that house that you're like, yeah, it's in the future, but we're going to get that one day and boom, no resistance. There was no resistance there. Surprise on the opposite side of that spectrum. I struggle all the time. I mean, there's, I get into confusion. I get into worry. I get, and then I worry that I'm worrying. I literally worry that I'm worried because I'm going to manifest that. Like, why am I worried about that? Right. It's not even real. And I'm worrying about it. And now I'm putting energy out. And I'm right. like, draw that right in. Stop it. Stop. Well, and to that end, I, I think like for me, I try and be aware of when I'm anxious or not in my highest energy or whatever. And I try and get back, I'll, I'll withdraw from the world and then say, okay, I need to go back into let's exercise. Let's, and I try and readjust yes. my energy so that yep. I can go up better. Yes. So sometimes I'll like go dark. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. A hundred percent. That's what I'm saying. Like when I see like when I say I'm spending so I'm what's happening is I'm just, I'm not paying attention to what's really happening energetically. And the business looks like it's a big problem right now, but really what's happening is I'm so entrenched. I manifested something and now I'm managing the problems of that manifestation. Right. And now I'm so entrenched in it. I'm pretzel up and I forgot, Oh, I need to come back and go inside. Yeah. Yep. That's I need to is. fix the problem from the inside out. Just get quiet, move away from it and let the universe kind of unravel this and the problem solvers will show up and the different situations that you didn't expect will be there. And this thing will go away kind of on its own. I mean, I, I genuinely believe for the most part, that's kind of how it works. And I, I mean, I, I can't claim to know how any of this thing that we're in is working, but I feel like that I've had enough experience and I've exercised enough with it that I know it's tangible and real. It's yeah. real. Yeah. Like I cannot deny that for myself. And I think that the component to making it operate is belief. And to the extent that you are having resistance, you know, I'm always telling everybody, like, if you, if you put a dream together and you have all this desire don't throw a rock at it as it's coming towards you and throw it off. It's we do it all the time. We sabotage it all the time. Oh, I can't really afford that. The universe like is, is got your back. So, okay. Going back to your dyslexia, you thought that you were stupid your whole life. Oh, I did. Oh, I did. And Terribly I stupid. Talk about that because I think a lot of people have, I mean, you're clearly brilliant, right? So, and successful. And all my husband now. <laughs> yeah, he knows. That's why he married you um, and why he trusts your gut. So can you just, I think, can you just share a little bit about what that's like for you? Because I also believe that there's all different kinds of geniuses. I just think that for some people, they don't have the conventional, you know, smart attributes. And so what was that struggle like for you? And how did you end up uncovering that you're actually not stupid at all? 
Um, so when I was in school, my first years of really being cognizant of struggling would probably around fifth and sixth grade, where I really struggled to try to memorize words. There weren't any of these labels of learning disabilities and dyslexia and things like that. I hung out with, you know, plenty of friends that were intelligent and they seemed to breeze through those assignments. And I seemed to have to work extremely hard at them, but I never questioned it. Right. I never questioned that there could be a learning disorder or that there, you know, what have you. And so by the time I got into high school, what, what I became was an excellent cheater. That's what I became. And that was just born out of necessity because I couldn't memorize things. And so I would have everything written on my hand and I would have everything written and tucked into different places. And I had a way that I could look onto somebody's other desk and I could get their answers. And I literally was able to cruise through as a good C student by doing those techniques, whether it was math or spelling, I mean, you put me in an art class, of course, and I would be at the top of the class, but you know, any of these, these other, these other classes, um, and, and I just, it really affected my self-esteem. And I thought that I wasn't smart enough to go to college. So that's why I picked art school. I didn't pick art school because I thought I was an artist. I picked art school because I thought I wasn't smart enough to go to college. Wow. And the truth is I wouldn't have survived college because they're conventional, you know, classrooms and things like that. And, and those, you know, I, I have to have visual aids. I, everything I do now, I know that if I'm going to memorize something, there has to be a photograph to it, like a, a picture in my memory to it. Mm -hmm. Right. Otherwise, I, I can't figure out the spelling of it. I can't figure out anything to it. And my husband at the time, I, he's my ex-husband now, it was another lifetime ago. He had his own company. And, this, and I was married young in my early 20s. And I watched him run his company. And I always would think to myself, well, you know, I would have done it this way. Oh, I see what you're doing, but I would have done it this way. Oh, I see what you're doing. And I could see the energetic outcomes. And I thought to myself at one point, you're supposed to be this really highly intellectual human being, but I kind of feel like I'm smarter than you. And I don't really understand that, mm -hmm. but I could do what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And as long as I have resources around me, so I kind of gave up trying to do things on my own. And then whenever I had to do things that were complicated, and this is basically after we split, I didn't have an education. I didn't have a career to go to. And so I made a decision that I would just figure it out and I would just do something I loved. And that if he could build that big company, I could build one too that I was smart enough to do that because I was at least as smart as him. And maybe, you know, I, I couldn't spell and maybe, and I started to figure, I mean, that was about the time. So it was probably my late twenties, early thirties that I started to realize that actually I was really smart and that I, I just, I just needed to be very clever. Like the way I cheated in school, that was being resourceful. I was smart. I was being resourceful. I just needed to be resourceful. I just needed to have other people do things for me and other, and, and get, a, get smart people around me and get smart about things like read about stuff and, and try to educate myself to, you know, to understand the function of something. Maybe I didn't have to completely do it myself and that I learned best with hands-on. So if I wanted to learn photography, I just needed to call up another photographer and say, Hey, can I hire you to spend the day with you? Because that's how I learned. And I could, I mean, I was a sponge. I'm very smart. I will soak up everything that person's doing in a 24 hour period and I can, I can apply it. And then in the midst of that, I'd be coming up all, my head is imploding with other ideas. Right. And it, you know, I think that everybody, I mean, has ideas, right. But you just don't have the confidence to execute them. And you're looking around your environments. And I think it was good that I was isolated and kind of alone and kind of single mom, because I wasn't comparing myself to the other smart people in the room. Right. I was like, I have to make this work. So let's just figure it out. And I think just through the years, 
you know, and then eventually I was, I was tested and that gave me some confirmation that, that I was dyslexic. And that kind of really helped me to understand that as well, that this was a real thing. And, you know, I I think it would have been fine, even if I wouldn't have officially known, but I still forged my way through it. And I learned that one, that what we talked about earlier, that, you know, I would, I would rather fail than not try. And I have failed at things and I don't, I, I don't think about those things, but I do think about the things that I had opportunity for and I didn't try. Those mm-hmm. kill me. So thank you. It's been fun. So much. I absolutely just adore you as a person and I revere your company as well. And thank you so much again for all your time and your energy. And I just love you. Thank you. We love you too. All right, that is it for today. Now, as you know, some of our best conversations actually happen after the show. So I want you to find me on Instagram at Kimberly Lovey and let me know your thoughts about today's show. You can screenshot this episode and let us know what your biggest takeaway was and tag me at Kimberly Lovey and we can share it on our stories. I will see you again, same time, same place next week.